We're going to spend our time together this morning in Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Yes, I did leave my Bible back there. Yeah, thanks. So my original uh, plan for this morning was to see us make our way through Psalm 15 and Psalm 16. Um, we'll see if the Lord is going to let us do that tonight, or this morning. Not tonight, this morning, or not. So let's have a word of prayer one more time as we now approach God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving us this opportunity to spend time in your word, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we sit with our Bibles open, either in our laps or on our devices or smartphones or whatever, Lord, it's, it's one thing for us to have our Bibles open. It's another thing entirely for us to be open to what your word may have to say to us today. So we ask you, Lord, as we sometimes pray, that as we get into your word, that you would allow your word to get into us. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 15, you can see, begins with a question. Actually, two questions, back to back. Psalm 15, verse 1, simply says this, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In some ways, the question that's being asked here is, is another level of, of this question. Who, who can come to church? Sometimes, I don't know if you bump into this, but sometimes as we kind of walk through life and we meet different people uh, and we talk to them about church and different things like that, they're a little bit leery about coming to church. In fact, sometimes they'll even say things like, well, if I ever walk into a church, the walls are going to collapse. Because in their minds, church is so not something that they've done for such a long time that, that coming and being part of a church is, is just... Somehow it's going to throw God off, they think. But, but here, we're kind of dealing with that question a little bit. In, in fact, the answer to the question is who can come to church is an easy question to answer, isn't it? I'll let you guys answer it. Who can come to church? Anyone and everyone can come to church. Anyone is welcome to, to walk through the doors of, of gospel teaching churches today and spend time and hopefully be, be warmly welcomed and things of that nature. Hopefully, if you're new here today, you've been warmly welcomed and, and if I have, have had the chance to say hello to you, hopefully that was nice. And, and, and uh, if other people uh, around you, hopefully they greet you. Nobody should leave here if they're visiting the church and having not been spoken to and not been welcomed. Are you with me on that, church? You know, we need to make sure we're doing a, a decent job with that. But this question here in Psalm 15.1 isn't who can go to church. There's two key words there. You see them in verse 1. It says, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill. This isn't about just going to church. This is about going to church and then sticking around. N not sticking around at church. The, the key isn't the tabernacle. The key isn't the holy hill. The key, what makes the hill holy, is that God is there. This is just a building. It's got walls. It's got windows. It's got doors. You can go up the road just to the lights, and there will be another building right on the same side of the road that looks very similar to this one. It's the old Gilmore Hall here in Rainham. And you can walk in that building, and you know what you're going to find there? Walls and windows and doors. What makes the house of the Lord the house of the Lord isn't the house, 
It's the Lord. What makes the hill holy isn't the hill, it's the Lord. What makes the tabernacle such a special place for the Jewish people isn't the building itself, as special as that building was. It was the presence of the Lord in that building. And so really what the psalmist is getting at here in Psalm 15 isn't who can go and stay at church, it's who can go and stay with the Lord. Who, who can abide, who can dwell with the Lord. And not just visit, not, not just pop in. Um, we, sometimes we like just to pop in on people, you know? We swing by their house, oh, I think I'm just going to pop in. Now, a lot of people don't like the pop-ins, right? Because the house may be a mess, you know, there may be no coffee or tea or water to give them or whatever. But sometimes we kind of translate to the Lord, that to the Lord, and we think to ourselves, well, I'm just going to pop in and spend some time with the Lord. Well, that's not what the Lord is looking for. The Lord is looking for us to stick with him. The Lord is looking for us to abide. The Lord is looking for us to dwell where he is. So who can do that? That's what Psalm 15 is about. Who's, who's allowed to do that? Who's encouraged to do that? So here's what it says in Psalm 15, verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. We can easily come up with three W letters or uh, W words from verse two, right? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness. And if you're speaking, what are you using? You're using words. So right in verse two, if you're from a Baptist background, you have a nice little three-point sermon. Your walk, your work, and your words. Those are three things that you and I are encouraged to pay attention to in order to qualify, if you will, to abide with the Lord and to spend that time hanging out with the Lord beyond church. It tells us about our walk that we're to do it uprightly. I'll give you two words that kind of sum that. It's humility and it's honestly. Uh, honesty, excuse me. Humility and honesty. That's what it means, biblically speaking, to, to, to walk upright. It's not to walk, uh, it, it's not about our posture, our physical posture. It's about our spiritual posture. Do we carry ourselves with humility? And a big part of being humble is being honest. We'll get to see that a little bit later. So that's what it talks about when it comes to, to our walk. When the, the Bible talks about our walk, it's not talking about, again, something physical. It's talking about the way we live our lives. So the way we live our lives, we can ask ourselves, do I live a humble life? Am I humble in the way that I carry myself? Do I live an honest life? Am I one way when I spend time with the Lord and another way when I'm hanging out with my buddies at work or watching the game or with my classmates at school or that kind of a thing? It's the consistency that gets found in this upright life. And that speaks to our walk. That speaks to the way we live our lives. But verse 2 also touches on our work. It says, he who works righteously. That's very simply what comes out of a right walk is right work. We don't have to have a, you know, we shouldn't have a, a, a walk that's off, but be trying to work what's right. That there's a, a rub there, a, a friction that just won't work. So when it speaks to, of us working righteousness, it's doing the right things. But the reason that we're able to do the right things is because we're walking humbly and we're walking honestly. And then we have the third one, and it is words, but notice at the end of verse 2 that it's not words to other people. 
It says that this person who's able to abide in the tabernacle of the Lord and is able to dwell in God's holy hill, it's he who walks uprightly, yes, and it's he who works righteousness, absolutely, but it's also he who speaks the truth in his heart. It's not about being honest with other people. That's covered by walking uprightly. This is about being honest with ourselves. Honest as we speak the truth to our own hearts. Being willing, I think, is a huge part of it to admit when we're struggling. To admit when we've done something wrong. To admit when we need to be corrected. Being willing to, to admit that, not, not to others, it has to start here. It has to start as we speak the truth to ourselves. That we're not playing the game, that we're not wearing the mask. That we, that we know, you look at, people can look at our walk, and they can look at our work, and they can think that we're holy. But they may never hear how we talk to ourselves. Or they may never hear how we talk about others on the inside of ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. We joke about it, not, not joke about it because it's funny, but, but we talk about it and joke about it some because we, we sometimes do it. Every single one of us has been kind to somebody's face, even if we don't like that person, and then when they walk away or we walk away, we think other things about them in our mind. We, we do that sometimes. In fact, look what it says here in verse 3. Here's one way that we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth to ourselves, speaking the truth in his heart. He said, verse 3, he, do, he who does not backbite with his tongue. What I just described is backbiting. You're biting somebody in the back. You're biting somebody as they walk away from you. You're sinking your teeth. I know it's very vampire-esque, right? You're sinking your teeth into them. And, and, and you're, when you greeted them, you were so kind to them, you were so nice to them, but as they walked away, the thoughts in your mind towards them were like taking fangs and sinking them right into their back. That doesn't jive. That doesn't go with this idea of walking uprightly and working righteousness and, and speaking the truth to our own hearts. He who wants to hang out with the Lord cannot be sinking their fangs into somebody, whether they like them or not. But it goes on there in verse 3, and it says, not only he who does not backbite with his tongue, but also he uh, who does, uh, nor does evil to his neighbor. That's pretty self-explanatory. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. So we have backbiting with our tongues, we have making sure that we're not speaking evil of, of our uh, neighbor, as it says there, and then we also have this idea of not taking a re up a reproach against his friend. I think the best example of taking a reproach against somebody is when, is when you either spread or continue gossip about them. You guys know what gossip is, right? Now listen, here's the thing about gossip. Not all gossip is untrue. I think we have to understand that. It, no gossip is good because of, of, the, of the heart behind it, usually. But sometimes when you hear something about somebody, it, it's absolutely 100% correct. But it doesn't matter. It's still gossip. It may be 100% wrong. And in some ways, that doesn't matter because that's also gossip. What's important when it comes to gossip is what we do with it. We should be people that if we hear gossip, it never is going to go further than us. Never goes further than us. And, and if possible, we're, we're able to, to maybe find out the truth of the situation. 
or encourage the other person to find out the truth of the situation. In, in my position as pastor, it's not uncommon for me to somebody, uh, not uncommon for people to come to me and tell me what somebody else thinks or what somebody else says. And I don't ever give it very much credence because I'm the kind of person who I want to hear it from the person. I want to hear it from them. Well, did you know so-and-so is doing this? Wow, you know, I, I really haven't heard that. So until I can find that out and verify that or hear it from the person themselves, it's not going to go anywhere else. It can't go anywhere else because then it's, it's gossip. It's taking up a reproach against somebody. So, so when it comes to gossip, it's it, not, not just that we should make sure we're not doing it. We need to make sure that if somebody else shares gossip with us, that's where it stops. Not too long ago, um, there was someone who, who was uh, sharing some gossip about me, and it was kind of one of those half-truth things. And I really appreciated a brother in the Lord who came to me and asked me about it point blank. And then at the end of the conversation, he traced the gossip trail backwards to its original source and straightened things out. Isn't that cool? And that's the kind of thing that, that I think that we each should be called to. Well, you know, I'm not listening to that gossip. Okay. But are you in a place where you can start chasing it backwards? Where you can start following that trail backwards, see where it originated from? Because you know, you know how it is. If gossip starts getting spread about somebody and then everybody finds, or that person who spread the gossip finds out that the gossip was wrong, do you think they go back to everybody that they told and correct it? No, they don't. And we've probably all been guilty of that as well. The gossip needs to stop if we're the ones starting it. Just stop it. The gossip also needs to stop if we're the ones who are made aware of it. It should stop with us either way. And I want you to notice something here in Psalm 15, because in verse 2, we're only given three things that we should be doing. He who walks, he who works, he speaks the truth in his heart. But then, uh, I'm sorry, that's verse 2. But then beginning in verse 3, we're, we're now given these, these things that we should not be doing. And, and for some people, that's a real hang-up when it comes, when we talk about coming to the Lord. That they don't want to be told what to do and what not to do. But when we're kids growing up, guess what? <laughs> yes, just like that. <laughs> we're told what to do, and we're told what not to do. Do you, do you work on that timing with her? Because that's two different weeks now. She's had perfect timing. Nice job, Eliana. We're dedicating her and her family next week. I hope you'll come back to that. Um, and and uh, 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 she's so cute, I just lost my train of thought. So. Uh, <laughs> We're always told what to be doing and what not to be doing. And I don't know if it's because when other people do it, we really can't uh, say to them, well, stop telling me what to do. I mean, don't ever try that with your boss. You know what I mean? Don't ever have your boss tell you to do something and you'd be like, stop telling me what to do. Because you won't have a job for very much longer, you know? Um, if a police officer pulls you over, don't use that card. Stop telling me what to do, you know, and what not. Um, yesterday I was riding in my car with uh, some, of the, some of the kids from the church. We were coming from an activity and uh, uh, somehow we started talking about the police and we decided that uh, we needed to write the police a ticket 
uh, so if the police pulled me over, and he, I don't know where, why we even got, I wasn't even speeding, maybe. Um, and, and uh, um, yeah. oh, I know what it was. They painted a couple, I know what it was. They, they, they paved a couple of roads around here, one in town and one just around the corner here on the Taunton line. And they didn't put the yellow lines back down. So I was telling the kids that technically there's no yellow line, so I can drive on the wrong side of the road. And so I did drive on the wrong side of the road. Don't tell their mom who just found out, sorry. Um, uh, and, and I was swerving back and forth and stuff, and, and then we started talking about the police and stuff, and, and we decided that if the police were to pull me over and write me a ticket, I should say, well, I have a ticket for you. Um, but don't do that. Don't do, I mean, don't swerve, but also don't say that to the police, okay? That's probably not a really good idea. And, and for some reason, we think that that's the best approach to God. Some people think that's also the best approach to God. That, that here God has given us his word, and he's given us, he's given us direction, and he's given us guidance. As we said earlier in the service, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. But there's some people who say, well, you know what? I don't want a lamp for, for my feet. I don't want a light for my path. I don't want to follow a God who tells me what to do. I don't want to follow a God who tells me what not to do. There's too many rules. There's too many. Now listen, if you love somebody, you want to guide them. And you want to guard them. And, and, and that's true in human relationships. I love my kids, so I want to protect my kids. And I want to watch over my kids. And as much as possible, I want to guide my kids. And yet, you know, when they start getting college age or post-college and they're out on their own and that kind of a thing, you know, you can still make suggestions as parents. But, you know, they don't always necessarily have to listen to you. The guiding and the guarding and all of that comes. So, so like Tyler was evacuated from Virginia Beach on, on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, because of the, uh, you know, massive Category 5 hurricane that's coming and wound up being a 1. And we need to be praying for the people down there. But, but um, he, he was like, well, I don't think the school can make me evacuate. He's, he's a pre-law, or no, he's a law student in Virginia Beach, first year law student. And I think that he thinks that this might be his first legal battle yeah, against his own school. Well, I'm not sure they can make me leave. Like Tyler, just, just leave. Enjoy a few days away and that kind of a thing. And we're like, take care of your valuables and all of that. You know what the one thing was that he made sure was protected? His PlayStation. Not the pictures of his lovely parents, you know? Not any, anything, not his books, not his, his place. He put it in the dishwasher at the suggestion of his sister. Because this, I don't even know. I don't even know what those two were doing. Anyway. But sometimes, sometimes people think that, that if they come to the Lord, if they start walking right and working what's right, they start carrying themselves in a humble and honest way and, and spend some time with the Lord that he is just going to ruin their lives with all kinds of rules and regulations and all of these things. That's understandable. That thought process is understandable, I think. Because sometimes uh, uh, it's very easy when you've been walking with the Lord to begin to think that it's all the rules and regulations that are keeping you on the straight and narrow. You know, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees had developed an entire Bible commentary, if you will, that was all about um, expanding and expounding on the law of God. 
So, for example, when God says that we should rest, that there should be a Sabbath rest, the Pharisees in Jesus' day decided that there needed to be a better definition of what rest actually meant. And so they came up with, well, rest means you can't walk more than this distance. Rest means you can't carry more than this, this much weight. They were very religious about it, very serious about it. And many of us, we didn't grow up as Pharisees, but, but many of us grew up in religious settings where there were rules and there were regulations and, and things were well defined for us. And there was something in us that kind of wanted to push back and, and buck against that a little bit. Maybe what we need to do is boil it down a little bit simpler because uh, the Bible says that, the, that all of the law and the prophets can really be summed up. I think for most of us, when we think about being religious, uh, when we think maybe even about a relationship with the Lord, we might think of, of the Ten Commandments. You guys have heard of those before, right? We might be able to even collectively, I'm not sure if any one of us could get all ten, but collectively we could come up with the ten. And sometimes we think, well, well if I just keep ten, I'll be okay. Except God knows that we won't be. God knows that if we have ten, we're not going to be able to keep the ten. And so he boils it down for us even more in the, um, uh, in the Old Testament. He takes it from ten down to three, I think it is. In Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O Lord, what is good and what is required of you to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if you are going to offer me ten things to do, or three things to do, I'll take the three every time. Because I don't have to remember ten. Ten is more of a requirement. Ten is a much greater chance that I'm not going to be able to meet those ten. So I appreciate that God in the prophets boils it down to those three for us. Walk justly. No, uh, he's shown you, O man, what is good and what is required of you to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Those three things. Pretty good. From ten down to three. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus believed in the Ten Commandments. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book of the Bible. In fact, he has an entire conversation with those religious Pharisees. Hey, you guys have heard it said, you shall not murder. I say to you that if you hate somebody, you've murdered them. Hey, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. I'm telling you right now, I'm obviously paraphrasing, I'm telling you right now that, that if you look on, on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus believed and taught and lived the Ten Commandments. But fortunately, he didn't take the Ten Commandments that in Micah 6, 8 went down to 3, and he didn't make them 10 again. He didn't, he didn't put that requirement back on us, nor did he expand it to more than 10. In fact, he, here's what Jesus said. Um, he, here's, when somebody came to him and said, hey, what's the greatest commandments? You've heard this before. The greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, depending on how you look at it, Jesus just took it from 10 to 3 to either 1 or 2. And 3 is easy to remember, much easier than 10, but how much easier is 1 or 2? 
Love the Lord with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. But even though it's boiled down to two, I don't know about you, but I sometimes struggle with the two. I mean, I'm glad it's not ten. I definitely struggle with the ten, and I'm thankful that it's not the three, because there'd be times when I would struggle with the three, but even boiling it down to one or two, I still struggle with that. And yet here we see God is speaking and saying, there's things to do to be able to abide with Him. There's things not to do to be able to abide with Him. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 5, jumping ahead just for a moment, don't get excited, we're not almost done. But at the end of verse 5, it says, He who does these things shall never be moved. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of not being moved. I like the sound of sometimes the storms raging around us and yet feeling anchored rather than blown about. And it requires doing these things and the things that we're not to do. I have to start asking myself, am I walking humbly and honestly when I walk uprightly? Am I walking uprightly? Not all the time. Am I working righteousness? Not all the time. And, and I'm answering these for me now, right? You, you're not answering for me. You answer for you. Am I being honest with myself? Am I speaking the truth in my heart? Not all the time. Well, well surely, Dawn, you must not be backbiting with your tongue. Oh, you didn't see the teeth marks? <laughs> not all the time. Am I good at that? Well, what about nor does evil to his neighbor? Well, I don't really know most of my immediate neighbors. I wave at them. How you doing? There's a, one of our neighbors. Oh, this is not good. One of our neighbors is a widow. I've known she's been a widow for five, six, seven years. I've never spoken to her. Wait, at it. Now, if that was a widow here in our church, I would be as involved in that person's life as they would let me be. Because... That's what I do as the pastor of this church, for, for all of us, not just widows. But I wave. She used to leave for work about the same time that I was putting one of the kids on the bus. We would wave. And I'm pretty sure that that actually falls, or can fall, into the category of doing evil to my neighbor. Because what I do know about her is that she doesn't know the Lord. What I do know about her is that she lost her husband and had to be hurting because her two children live out of state. Here I am with the gospel 
Here I am, knowing Jesus. There's someone who doesn't. And all I've done is wait. Doing evil to my neighbor. Yeah, sometimes. Carrying gossip, taking up a reproach against his friends. Certainly, I've been guilty of that. Verse 4 goes on to say, well, we could stop with verse 3, right? I mean, I've already failed miserably. He who does these things shall not be moved. Oh my goodness, no wonder why sometimes the storms of life seem to blow me over. Did you guys see that flag on the flagpole down in the Carolinas as, as Hurricane Florence came in? And when they first started showing it, it was, it was blowing uh, uh, full force. I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the flag was just blowing in the wind like a flag blows in the wind, but the stronger the wind got, that flag was just completely torn to shreds. And by the end of the storm in that area, it was tattered. There were bits and pieces of it still there. You could certainly tell that used to be an American flag. Sometimes don't you feel like that flag? Sometimes don't you feel like the storms are just blowing and, and you're just being beaten and tattered and you're still there. If people look closely, they can still tell that it's you. But you look like you've been through the storm. Or how about, I don't know if you guys saw this, this is like, what are they trying to pull? So you know how they send these weather reporters out, right? send these weather reporters out, and I, I hope these people get like hazard pay or something when they do this, right? And they go into the storm, and the storm is blowing, and they're trying to talk, and Shelby Scott from Channel 4, you guys, if you've been around a long time, you guys may remember Shelby Scott from Channel 4, you know? And you can barely hear her because the, 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 the wind is, you know, blowing, yeah, I know, it scared some of you, uh, blowing into the, I just want to make sure you're awake, and, and uh, blowing in the microphone, and she's there, oh, I'm here, and situate, you know, or wherever, and so the other, or in this last storm, there was, I think it was, was it the Weather Channel, or I don't know, one of them, some TV station had this guy, he's got like this blue parka on, and he's standing, and the wind is blowing, and he's got his hood on, he's holding his hood, he's talking to the microphone, and, da, da, da. and here in the background are two guys in Bermuda shorts. <laughs> not being blown at all. They're just walking. <laughs> I know this guy like 25. That is so bad. What are they trying to pull? <laughs> but sometimes don't we feel like that guy when everybody else seems to be walking fine? We feel like the full force of the wind is against us and we're not faking it like they are. I don't know. They have a big fan there on them or something. I don't know. And, and, and we don't have parkas of these things to protect us, but it feels like the storm is just full on in our face and, and everybody else is just walking around fine. What's going on? We're failing. I'm failing. Failing. Verse 4. I'm not sure if we planned on coming to church today to talk about how much we fail, but verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. So as we go through life, we, we're looking at these two groups of people, and, and we're willing to acknowledge and recognize, uh, first of all, when, when there's vileness going on, 
we need to not be afraid to point it out. I know we live in a day and age where we don't want to offend people. When we want to be make sure that we're uh, PC, politically correct, and, and all of these different things. But the Bible says basically call a spade a spade. If there's vileness going on, somebody has to point it out. If something wrong is going on, it's not let's pretend, let's pretend that it's not happening, or let's not get involved, it's none of our business. No, no, God says there's a time and a place for people, for somebody somewhere to stand up and go, excuse me, that's wrong. But at the same time, we need to make sure we're doing the second half of that. It says that um, uh, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Look, in, in other words, we can't become people who, who just go around pointing out the wrong. There's a time and a place for pointing out what's right. You know how when you and I go to a restaurant or we go out shopping or something like that, if we have a bad experience, we tend to tell somebody else about it. Uh, Facebook is an easy place to, to rant and rave about a bad experience at a restaurant or, or you, know, you know, bad, not bad drivers necessarily because we'd be there all day, but uh, uh, you know, just a, a bad cashier, or a bad attitude for somebody who's supposed to be in customer service and all of these different things. And, or we're talking to somebody on the phone or some way, somehow, we, we let it be known. You know, we were so inconvenienced when we went to such and such a restaurant and it was such a bad experience and the food was okay, but it got ruined by this waitress who was in a bad mood and all of these things. But we can't just be people who, who pick out what's wrong. We also should be people who pick out what's right. Like if you look at most restaurants' uh, Facebook pages, let's say, and you start reading the reviews, most of those reviews are going to be about what was wrong. But what about when they got it right? What about when the cashier is wonderful? What about when you, when you got your mail delivered on time and it was all your mail and only your mail? And it was raining, and he saw that your mailbox was open, so he brought it to the door of your home and put it in between the door. Do we recognize that? Do we acknowledge that? Or do we just go for the negative? Something to think about, at least. And then we have here, as we now are almost at the end, it says at the end of verse 4, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That, that you are so honest in your dealings that if you promise something and it winds up costing you something, you don't back out of it. If, if it's going to hurt you, you're still going to be such a person of your word that you follow through on it. And then verse 5, he who does not put out his money at usury, uh, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. The whole idea of putting your money out at usury is, oh, you, you need 50 bucks, I'll lend you 50 bucks. How quick can you get it back to me? And oh, that there's interest. I'm going you know, I'm, I'm to do this for you, but I'm going to be expecting you to do something even more for me. It's kind of like a, a, a what's in it for me kind of an attitude. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'll do this for you, but what's in it for me? We live in that kind of a world. And then, of course, you can see the last one there. He who, uh, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. We could get into politics with that statement. Um, we could get into personal dealings with that statement. It's just... It's there, and it means what it means. And then it says, he who does these things shall never be moved. And, and, 
And if we stop there, it's like, oh man, that's, that's a bummer. It's like in Psalm 15, God is dangling all this stuff out here. Hey, who may abide, uh, Lord, in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Well, here's the prerequisites of which I meet pretty much none. Thanks a lot, God, for showing me where I'm failing. Who, he who does these things shall not be moved. Oh, I'm so excited to, to, to not be moved, but thanks for showing me that that's not possible in my life. It's a problem. But the great and wonderful thing about God is it not that there is no problem that he doesn't have the solution for? In fact, there's, there's probably no problem that he isn't the solution for. And so Psalm 15 is not meant to be this psalm of futility where we get to the end and we say, okay, that's it, I'm never reading the Bible again. Now I feel horrible about myself. Thank you for pointing out to me, God, everything I'm doing wrong. Thank you very much. If I wanted that, I would just go talk to my mother-in-law. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't tell her I said that when she's here next time, okay? Um, and, 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 and that's it. But this is where we have to insert Jesus, is it not? I mean, this is where he must come into the equation. And he does. Yes. No one talked more about abiding than Jesus. No one talked more about the importance of it or how it can happen than Jesus did. And almost exclusively in John chapter 15. And we're not going to turn there together, but... but um, we're going to turn to something else John says in a minute. But in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about abiding and abiding and abiding and abiding. And us abiding in him and him abiding in us. And us abiding in his love and his word abiding in us. Back and forth. And you can see that, that Jesus' desire, as much as the psalmist says, Oh Lord, you know, who can, who can abide with you? And who can dwell with you? The psalmist David, as he, as he thinks and talks about that, he's excited for that. He wants that to happen. And as much as he wants that to happen... Jesus wants it to happen. And that's really the message of John 15. But John 15 lies smack in between John 14 and John 16. And here's what's interesting. There's, a, there's not word for word, but in John 14 and John 16, there's a common topic in between those two chapters. And that topic is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus expounds on the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus expounds again on the Holy Spirit. And right smack in the middle is this chapter in John 15, where at least the first nine or ten verses or so are about abiding and abiding and abiding and abiding. And as the disciples sat there and listened to Jesus talk about that, one of them got it. I mean, maybe more than one of them got it, but one of them for sure got it, you know, because he wrote about it later on. As he was listening to Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit and then talk about abiding and then talk about the Holy Spirit again, a, a light dim, uh, no, a light didn't dim, a light went on. There we go. A light went on for him. And he wrote something about it. His name is John, but he wrote three letters. Turn near the end of your Bible to 1 John. Chapter 4, like literally near the end of your Bible. You can go all the way to Revelation, back up just a few pages, and you'll see Jude, and then 3 John, and then 2 John, and then 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, that's the one verse we're chasing down before the girls come up and close us out with a couple of songs. 
First John chapter 4, verse 13. John, now an older man, thinking back to the things that Jesus said and talked about and taught, remembering, I'm guessing anyway, remembering what, what Jesus talked to them about with the Holy Spirit, remembering that the, the whole talk he gave on abiding and then, and then back to the Holy Spirit again. It was like, a, it was like a, uh, an abiding sandwich where the two sides of bread, where the two pieces of bread were the Holy Spirit. And from that, John got this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. You see it? I'm going to read it again. I'm going to try not to emphasize anything. By this we know that we abide in him. So we can know that we can abide in Jesus, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell on your holy hill. We can have confidence in spite of the end of Psalm 15 that we can abide in him and he in us. And we can have that confidence because it says at the end of verse 13, he has given us of his spirit. So, so here's what John is, is formulating from John 14, 15, and 16, that somehow or other, when we receive the Spirit, it is the Spirit's role, if you will, to pull us to that place where we are abiding and dwelling with the Lord. We can know that we're abiding because we have the Holy Spirit. But that has to lead us to another question. The, the, the next question has to be this then how do I get the Holy Spirit? I mean, if, 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 what's, if what's keeping us in that, getting us to that place and keeping us in that abiding relationship is the Holy Spirit, then how do I order the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Tell me where on the menu, you know, point to it, show me, so I can, because that's what I want. That's what a man named Nicodemus wanted in John chapter 3. Just to know that's what he wanted. He came and talked to Jesus. He was one of those religious guys we were talking about before. Very religious man. He came and talked to Jesus in John chapter 3. We've probably heard the story before and about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. There was an entire uh, TV station that used to be popular back in the day called Nick at Night. And that was named after him. And um, Not really. And that was a really bad joke. I won't use it again. And, and uh, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And Jesus... Uh, he, he asked Jesus, um, he asked Jesus, he says, you know, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. I know that phrase has been used as an insult to some people, and, and because of that, some people who are born again don't want to admit that they're born again. But Jesus invented the phrase. Use it. Grab it. Identify yourself as that, if that's what you are. And, and Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He just hears the born part. He doesn't hear the again part. He thinks, well, how can a man be born, uh, born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, uh, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't act so surprised, Nicodemus. Think it through. You're born physically. You also need to be born spiritually. You're born once. You need to be born a second time. That second time is the again time. Now listen, I know that most of us sitting here are born again. You're here every week. I know you from church. I know you from outside the church. You observe my walk. I observe yours and so on and so forth. And we're kind of doing our walk with the Lord together, as the saying goes. But I don't know all of you. And I don't know how you may have answered the test of Psalm 15. Maybe what, what is moving you in your life right now is that there's no way you on your own can abide with the Lord. And to that I say, join the rest of us. None of us on our own can abide in the Lord. None of us can even think about in our own strength, in our own goodness, dwelling with the Lord. We need someone else to intervene, to help us with that. And that someone else is Jesus, but it's Jesus who gives us the Holy Spirit and tells us that simply by becoming born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. And John picks up on that in 1 John 4, 13, as we read. And he says, when we have the Holy Spirit, that's how, no, that's how we know we can abide. That's how we know it's even possible. So we're going to pray together. And as we pray together, my question is very simple. Are you born again? Don't be afraid of the phrase Jesus used it. I, I know you've been born once of water, but have you been born again a second time? No, Nicodemus, you don't have to go into your mother's womb. But you do need to do what Jesus said. So, so who may abide when we have to answer that question? He would have the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Jesus says we must be born of water and born again a second time. When we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. So that's the only question, really, is are you born again? Let's pray together.